0: all right, guys, today I've got a special guest on the podcast. His name is Chad Prather. So he is a comedian, conservative, political commentator and the host of the Chad Prather Show on Blaze TV. I actually appeared on his show back in June. I think it was June, I believe. So you can go to our website and check that out or just go to his YouTube channel. We did two back-to-back episodes. So that was a lot of fun. This guy has done a lot of things in his life when we get into that in the show. He actually ran for governor. He ran for governor of the state of Texas here recently. But here's the thing about this podcast, and I've told you guys this before. Some of my favorite interviews that I've ever done Whenever I go back and look at the questions I intended to ask them and compare it to the questions that I actually ended up asking them, they're completely different. That is a common through point of some of my favorite interviews that I've ever done. And this conversation is no different because I've got a lot of things on my list that we didn't cover, even a little bit. Okay, we talk a little bit about, you know, the different things he, he's done in his life because he's had a lot of different jobs and, and a lot of different uh, areas of focus. And, you know, he had a very circuitous route to being a comedian and a professional conservative podcaster with the blades and, and all these different things. But almost immediately, I started talking to him about the state of the church and the state of how church is done today versus the first century or, uh, first century or New Testament model. We spent a great deal of time talking about that. But then we talked about the state of manhood not just in the church but in cultural uh, culture at large and then we get into some of the drag queen story hour and drag queen parties that are happening around and guys I don't really want to go into any more detail because I want you to get into this. This was a fantastic conversation. Now I'm going to have Chad back on. I don't know if we'll be able to get him uh, on uh, before the end of the year, maybe beginning of next year. And we'll deal with some of that. You know, I do want to talk to him about what it was like running for governor of the state of Texas. I do want to talk to him about his thoughts on the future of the country. And I want him to go over stuff that's in the news cycle. What he thinks about Biden? What he thinks about Trump? All that kind of stuff. But that's just not where we went about 20, 25 minutes. in, I was like, Nope. All right. We're blowing this up and we're going to move through it. So I really, really do think you guys are going to enjoy that. And I also, know that you guys love delicious beefy meals so conveniently for you guys the sponsor of today's show is KC Cattle Company and guys I know I've talked a lot about KC Cattle Company they're an absolutely fantastic company but there are a lot of meat subscription meat delivery subscription services out there a lot of them advertise on other shows that you've probably heard I'm sure they've got great people that work there and it's all good and go but only one of these companies is U.S. military veteran owned U.S. military veteran operated and all, and I mean all, of their beef, chicken, and pork products that they produce are produced here in the good old United States of America, and that is Casey Cattle Company, okay? So this company specializes in Wagyu beef. So again, I had never heard of that before Casey, or I never had it before Casey Cattle Company, but this is a breed of cattle that is known for its mutations that allow for up to 10 times, yes, 10 times the amount of intramuscular fat. That's the marbling that gives you all that amazing flavor, and i told you guys, that I think it was last week or the week before. I got my new box from them this month because they do the, the big box sets. They send it to you in the dry ice and everything. I've got some por- porterhouse pork chops, I think is what they're called. I'm trying to remember. But, guys, i got to be honest with you. I've never made pork chops before. Like, And these are big, fancy, delicious-looking pork chops. So I don't want to mess it up. So I wasn't lying the last time when I said, guys, I need your help. So if you are like, you know, a chef or some sort of like a pork chop aficionado, I don't want to mess these up. Okay. I want to hit a home run with these pork chops. So please shoot me a DM or an email and let me know the best way to produce these and and to put them out there for me and my family to where they're going to love it. So guys, Casey Cattle Company sells everything from Wagyu steaks, Wagyu roasts, pasture-raised chicken, pasture-raised Berkshire pork, like those pork chops, Wagyu bacon cheeseburger bratwurst, and as I've told you guys about before, the world-famous Wagyu gourmet hot dog. It was named the best hot dog in the world and I can absolutely attest to that. It is called a tube steak for a reason because it tastes like a steak, but it looks like a hot dog. It's amazing. You guys have got to try their products, so go to KCCattleCompany.com That's KCCattleCompany.com use the promo code Kyle to get 15% off your order again that promo code is just my first name Kyle that's K-Y-L-E for 15% off of your order at kccattlecompany.com all right guys let's get into this interview with Chad Prather so without further ado let's get into it Chad Prather welcome to Undaunted Life of Man's podcast
1: brother it is good to be with you
0: Hey, I got to tell you, this isn't nearly as fancy of a meeting as when you had me on your show. Cause you've got this whole big studio. It's fancy. You have servants. You have people like literally bringing you drinks and grapes and crap in between. Like you're literally just forced to sit on your couch in front of a laptop. So I guess we need to start with a big, I'm really, really sorry, Chad. I'm sorry. I'm not as fancy as you.
1: you, Kyle, luxury is overrated, buddy. It's uh, (laughs) just stay, stay right here the way it is. Stay Spartan as possible.
0: Okay. That's what I'm going to do. I try to do things as relaxed as possible since I'm so intense because I can't make my face look any different. Like I I just look this way. I just talk this way. So I have to like, try to like soften the edges in other areas. So you've had a really interesting life. You and I have, I've kind of maintained a friendship since coming on your show. And it's really awesome to get to know you a little bit, but you've got a very unique story in that, uh, you just, I guess, had a unique upbringing. You've done a lot of stuff. You know, you have a degree from Columbia. You were a pastor. You did international mission work. You've been in the business world. You you went to seminary, or I guess you were a professor in seminary for a while, but also you had a unique childhood. So I need you just in a few minutes to bring us up to speed to where you are today. Just tell us all the important information.
1: Uh, Let's see. In a nutshell, uh, I was uh, born in New Jersey. I love to tell people I'm a pro-life guy and I believe life begins at conception. And I was conceived in Texas, so I at least have (laughs) Texas DNA. That's right. Yeah, my father was an engineer, and um, they had him on a project in New York. So I was born in New Jersey, but I only lived there about four months of my life. And then Mm -hmm. they moved to Augusta, Georgia, which was my mother's hometown. My father was a South Carolinian. My mother was a Georgian, and she won out. So I grew up in Georgia, then wound up going to – I played baseball and, and wound up going to the University of Georgia, and uh from georgia as you said went to columbia and, and columbia also has a seminary so i went there as well as did some teaching while i was there as well um and i went into the ministry uh you know i was i was doing school and doing ministry around the age of 19. it's for the next 12 years of my life 13 years of my life i spent a lot of time both working in local churches both pastoring and and, and leading, but, uh, also traveling around the world, doing a lot of work in third world countries. I, you know, I spent a ton of time in West Africa, and uh, tons of stories there. But uh, I, and I was, I tell people all the time, Kyle, I was a terrible pastor. I was a great teacher, preacher, but I was a terrible pastor because uh, in in American churches, it's. Um, People don't really want their problems fixed. They want their problems understood. I believe that if people could, if you could take away their problems, a lot of them would lose their identity because they've so, you know, victimized themselves with what's been done to them or, you know, how they've been so-called oppressed. So I'm one of those guys, I bottom line it for you. I'm not here to pat your bobo, right? I, I don't have a whole lot of gray areas in that regard. So I was a little too prophetic, if you will, a little too black and white for shepherding local churches uh and and that's a real thing man you know i'm i'm not one of those i'm not one of those counselors dude that's gonna make you feel good but uh hmm. we uh i i never i, I just kind of i kind of because i was struggling trying to fit into a role that wasn't me kind of putting on saul's armor i burned out uh wound up losing a marriage and uh we had four kids it was a it was a traumatic thing and i really kind of crawled into a cave of life at that point and didn't know what I was going to do. And I always knew that I had a gift to communicate and this thing called social media came along and, and I was fascinated with the sociological aspects of it, of how you could reach people and, and trigger people and make people laugh and make them spend their money and push the buttons and get them to push the buttons. And so for me, I started using social media as a means and an outlet to, uh, to do all those things, particularly to make people laugh. And, uh, a television network wound up. Well, first it was a radio network reached out to me about doing a radio show and then a television network reached out about doing a travel show with them. One thing led to another and I wound up going viral on social media with, uh, these silly videos sitting in the truck and just kind of talking to my dashboard for a minute or two. And, uh, you know, then it got into the world of podcasting and then wound up at blaze TV. And so now I don't even really have a podcast. It's a TV show. And, um, you know, one thing it just incrementally led to another to get to this point. And a lot of people ask me, they say, you know, you know, why aren't you still in ministry? You should still be in ministry. I said, you have a wrong idea of ministry because I see what I do as ministry. Even even now, I just don't have that title, that church title in front of my name. So, yeah, it's been it's been a wild journey. I, you know, I'm a, I'm ai do live shows as a comedian. I do live shows as a musician. I do motivational speaking with organizations that have me in. Do the podcasting, do the television show, and, and so there's a lot of people who there's two ways of approaching it. People say, "Man, you you really do a lot of things, and that's great." And then there's a lot of people who say, "Man, you do a lot of things. You maybe should settle that down a little bit and not do so much." <laughs> so here I am, man. I'm I'm like a goose. I wake up in a new world every day, and uh, I'm you know I like I like to do a lot of things. I love variety, and, and it just kind of defines me.
0: Well, Chad, it's exciting when you're the business and like, so when somebody, cause you know, you have to eat what you kill. And so you constantly need to look for these other lines of income and other lines of influence and stuff like that. But I do want to kind of circle back. We talked about this a little bit off air, but we can go and get into it now. Just the overall state of the modern church. So you had me on your show earlier this summer, uh, we did two episodes and we talked a lot about that. We talked about manhood, but just specifically within the church, you know, we love to lament as a modern Christian culture, that we live in a post-Christian culture. Uh, I think a lot of Christians kind of wear that as a badge of, of honor or a badge of courage, but I think it's, it's healthy to look at that and lament it and to do things to counteract that. But it's also healthy to look at that and be like, we weren't guaranteed to, to be you know prosperous and have no issues. We were basically guaranteed persecution and death and then eternal life. And so just talk to me a little bit about the state of that because you were in that world right? I'm pseudo in that world because I'm not a pastor. I'm not affiliated with any denomination or any particular church building. So I can basically say whatever I want. So this is like a parachurch ministry. And so it's like, and I I agree with your sentiment that everyone's a minister in some way, whether you, you know work as a janitor or you work you know, in a factory or you work in a doctor's office, you're ministering to people every single day just with how you operate and, and you know get into them and get into their lives. But just talk to me about the overall state of the church, because I got to say, I'm not terribly enthused with a lot of things I see outside in Christendom. And that's why uh, I, I make Christians mad and ruffle their feathers a lot, at least here recently.
1: Yeah. We, uh, I was in Frankfurt, Germany uh, in the airport in 1994, And, um, I saw all the advertisements on the wall, you know, the, you know, how we go through a place you might see Victoria's secrets or some magazine cosmopolitan Vogue, something like that vanity fair and, and how provocative in 1994, the ads in a public place in, in Germany. Were and I and I was saying at the time I said you know America usually is about fifteen to twenty years behind what Europe's doing hmm. culturally. Now that's sped up because that, you got to remember in ninety four that was kind of pre internet days. Everybody didn't have a cell phone. You you know the the, the cultural information traveled a lot slower. Uh, it, it, and that, now that happens a lot faster. The world's gotten smaller. But I can remember saying then I said you know if this can happen in Germany, which was, you know, obviously the place of the Reformation, you know, it was the heart of the Reformation. Uh, It was the heart of Protestantism. And I said, you know, just 500 years later, it becomes a place of atrocity. It becomes a place where Nazism, it takes takes hold. But then now this, this lascivious culture is being exposed everywhere in public places. I said. You know, the church is really in trouble if we don't fortify ourselves now in terms of what's coming. So now we see what's happened, and that is we didn't fortify ourselves. We've allowed ourselves to embrace the world's message, and two big things have happened, I think, in the church. One is we've embraced commercialism, and we're okay with disenfranchisement. What I mean by that is commercialism... We don't really care so much if, if, if unadulterated offensive truth is being preached in our pulpits as long as the coffee is the right flavor, mm. and the air conditioner is set, and the fountains are running in the lobby, and, you know, there's a valet to help park your car, and, you know, the, the right children's minister is there to entertain your kids. Um, so, so we're really no different from a Christian Disney world, and I use the word Christian in quotations. Mm. And then the disenfranchisement part is our is our that individualism, which is inevitable because as Americans we do believe in individuality, but that's not what the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be a community we're not we're not supposed to be unified as much as we're supposed to be one and and that is that's something that I think has been lost in terms of what the biblical message is for the American church is we're not one we don't we don't have a common message we're not one with one another we're not of one heart you know our worship is not uh it, it, we don't have and and I, when I define that when I say one we get from the word one the word integer and the word integer we get the word integrity so so if we're not one with ourselves we don't have integrity in our own in our own heart and community so We've kind of lost that in a big way, and uh, we hear people talk about revival, revival. We need revival. Well, obviously, we're not in any form of a revival. Uh, which, if you look, the word revival is not in the New Testament at all. It's an Old Testament terminology. Uh, it was pre the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and so. Uh, but once the New Covenant was made in Christ, the the concept is is New Testament discipleship. And that is, uh, that is um, taking the image of Christ that dwells in you and reproducing it in the lives of others. I think that's what we're looking for, but unfortunately, we've lost what we, what we know to be the teachings and the image of Christ in us. You know, Jesus said, go and teach the nations everything that I've commanded you, everything that I've commanded you. And We're not doing that. And so consequently, we've lost our mission. And if you lost your mission, then you've lost your purpose. And, and I always tell people an example. I say, you know, um, dogs that run in packs, they'll do one of four things at any given time. They'll sleep, they'll eat, they'll fight amongst themselves. And if unthreatened, they'll let new members join the pack. They'll do those four things until a rabbit runs by. When the rabbit runs by, the ones that are eating and sleeping and fighting are going to stop, and they're going to chase the rabbit. And the they'll now let new members join the pack as long as they're willing to get caught up in the uh, in the vortex and the chaos of the rabbit chase. So, what are Christians? Christians, you know, or what is ch- what are churches? Churches are Christians running in packs, right? Hmm. So, so we are we sleep that is, we get lethargic. We eat. We just go in there and want somebody to feed us all the time. You know, some spiritual truth. Uh, we fight amongst ourselves. God knows that happens in the church. And as long as somebody's not willing to mess up the status quo, we'll let new members join us. But we've we've lost the rabbit, right? We've lost the vision, and that vision, I think, is the Great Commission. And so, consequently, the church has become a feel-good habitat. It's become a place of of comforting and soothing, and you know, God forbid we we offend anybody or step on anybody's toes. And and I say that coming from the perspective of a comedian because I always tell people that in this age where free free speech or just speech in and of itself is under attack. There's two places you should go and expect to get offended. One is the church and the other is is the comedy place, you know, the comedy stage. And we fight against both of those right now because we just want to feel good all the time. So the state of the church, we're in trouble. Um, and I, I don't know if there's any hope for us apart from a true outpouring of God's, you know, grace and favor and mercy and that, uh, you know, that evidenced by his spirit. But um, I, I always, you know, <laughs> God, can't, God can't save saints and God can't save seats. And the, and the local church is full of both of them. You know, we're not bringing people in. We're not truly blessing people. We're not ministering to people. That's why I love that what I do, is, as abrasive as it can be on social media, to me is a ministry. To me, it's a ministry. And it's very offensive to, to, to the average modern 21st century mind. But I'm okay with that, right? Because I think we need some abrasiveness.
0: Well, let's dig into that a little bit more. And I obviously co-sign the abrasiveness. Obviously people are like, I you talk too fast and you're a little bit too aggressive. It's like, well, I can't control either of those things. But, um, you know, one thing I think you would co-sign just to make sure everyone's not mishearing you is obviously you don't think that God's church is in trouble because God is in, in control of his church. It's the American church that's in trouble. Maybe you could say the Western yeah. church.
1: Well, and that, that's the thing. I, you know, we throw our labels and, and stuff on the church. When I talk about the bride of Christ, hmm. Obviously, she is being purified for a day, right? That is coming, and and we know that that bride that that Christ Christ loves very much. You go back to uh, you go back to the Book of Esther, you know, and Esther uh, anointed herself, and and they groomed her. I hate to use that word. This it's been yeah. lost in so many things today, mm. but they literally they bathed her and they. They anointed her body and they put her in baths. I mean, she did this for 12 months before she got married, mm-hmm. right? I mean, she was really getting perfumed up. I mean, she went through this beauty regimen for 12 months. If you read the story before her wedding day, we're going through some pretty um, cleansing times right now, you know, the whole wheat and chaff. And so we're, we're in a day and age where I think that, the, that the, the bride is being beautified but man, there's some ugly parts that are there that, that I think that, that God loves us so much that he's peeling those layers off. You know, I tell people, and it's and they, they have to think about this when I say it, but there's some parts of you that aren't going to heaven. <laughs> like there's some of those things that you love about you aren't going to make it because those aren't the sanctified parts those aren't the things that are going to be pleasing to him. And so he's trying to get those sacred cows out of our lives and get us to a place where we are pure. So no, the church itself, um, you know, globally is growing. Uh, there is true discipleship happening. There is new Testament great commission processes happening around the world. Um, I can remember when I was in um, Abidjan, Cote d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast, back in, I think it was 96, 95, uh, first time I was there. And I came back and I was telling a seminary friend about some things that I saw while I was there. And it were just like demonic stuff that I saw and, Mm. you know, black magic and and just some of the stuff that was there. And (laughs) it was just some real pure evil stuff. And... uh, The uh, buddy of mine, seminary friend of mine, he goes, "Yeah, they got that over there, don't they?" I was like, "Man, they got it everywhere." I said, "They're facing the." I said, "You think it's not in America?" I said, "You know, it's just not being paraded the way it is." I said, "But it's here too. This evil is here too." But see, we've stuck our head in the sand so bad that that we don't we don't realize that that these these forces and powers that are unseen that are very very evil and wicked. Uh, they're affecting us, man, but we've gotten so sterile in the way that we do things. It's very antiseptic and uh, clinical in, in the way we do church. And so in that regard, we, we've, be- we've become powerless. Hmm. You don't need power, you don't get power. So th- that's where we live in. So
0: you brought up a lot of things that I want to kind of weave together. I want to go back to a point that you were making about the commercialization of, of the modern church and a lot of those things. So the the easy colloquial term for that is the mega church. And I've had some conversation with some pastors that are kind of in that world. And, and you know, I'm still kind of thinking through the the ramifications of that because it is possible to have a mega church in terms yep. of the definition and be incredibly healthy. And the, and the pastor is not doing TED Talks with a few Bible verses on the back end, but starting with the scripture and maybe a few life lessons here and there. But I guess what I see in the modern church, Chad, and you can tell me if, if you feel like this is the same way, Um And this is regardless of if it's a mega church or a small church, even in a rural community. I feel like we are requiring so little of people because we bought into the business ethic of trying to diminish the the barriers to entry, I guess you could say. And so I remember Jordan Peterson recently talking about this on a YouTube video when in his message to Christian churches, which is like, require everything, Not, not only put A big neon sign that says men are welcome here, but require everything of them. Because look, if you really believe the gospel and you believe in repentance and what that actually means, it doesn't mean saying sorry, God. It means turning away from the life that you were living and the things that you were doing. But most churches, it is. It's like grab your delicious coffee, grab your cookies, go and see the rock show. Listen to your TED talk and then bounce. I call it spiritual skittles. You just get your skittles and they wear off before you leave the parking lot. There's no life change. There's no discipleship. It's because we're we're buying into this modern sense of convenience. And we know that if a sermon goes long, that's not convenient because you're going to be you know back of the back of the line at the sandwich shop you know afterwards or something like that. But go a little deeper into that because I feel that in my chest. I, I sense it even in my own church at different points where it's like we're all here checking this convenience box but I don't know that we're necessarily going as far as we need to go with the scripture. Go.
1: Yeah. No, I, there's a lot there that you just unraveled and and, and laid out there that that can be poked at. Um, and, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, I'm disconcerted with what I see, right? I I look at it and I say, you know, maybe we, we've never known truly what the definition of praise and worship is. Right. Mm. Um, you know, and so we engage in these things that we've been told are the right thing. Uh, there is the you know certain churches that are a little more liturgical. There are churches that are a little more free. Uh, what's right? I don't know. I don't know that there is a right. You know, I, I just think that that uh, you have to find the community and the expression of your faith that that fits you. Um, and and I think that it is a, a coat of many colors, so to speak, in terms of how we express all these things to God. So if I go to church and, and I expect, you know, 30 minutes of, of music, uh, if I expect 30 minutes of, of a message, you know, and then I'm going to, you know, get out of there and go eat chicken and, you know, give the waitress a hard time in the name of the Lord. Uh, I You know, that what, what at the end of the day is the right thing that happens on a Saturday night or a Sunday or whichever service you choose to go to? I try not to get caught up in any of those things. Um, You know, I don't need a guy. Um, I don't need a guy necessarily getting on a stage and and telling me how to live my life. Now, now that's handy if he's doing it right. It's handy. It's a tool. Um, It's also it's also a thing which is commanded, but but not the way we do it. Right? There is the command to preach the gospel. There, and, and I don't think we, and I think we don't understand what the gospel is as well you know the gospel is not a come and see message it's a go and tell message it's a, it's a tale of good news that's literally what the word means you know the apostle paul defines the gospel as the proclamation of the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ that that is the gospel it is a it is a proclamation that says we win mm. and uh <laughs> you know you can you can summarize the gospel in those two words we win uh we don't have a we win message right now um we don't have a we win me- uh, mission. We don't have a, you know a, a we win uh, method. We we don't have any of these things going for us right now. So uh, we get caught up in the the weekly practice of the expression of that you know that worship experience. But but are we truly discipling anybody? I don't I don't think we are. You know, and when I say disciple, here's what I mean by that. You know, Jesus said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I've commanded. Lo, I'm with you always unto the end of the age. So he says, I'm with you to the end of the age. That's the, that's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. He says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Why is he going to be with you? He's going to be with you so you can go make disciples. And then, of course, we saw that in, as evidence in Acts 1 where, you know, the Spirit, you know, uh, you know, rest acts one and two, where, you know, the spirit rested on the church and then they sent them out and and they went to uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So Jerusalem, that was their neighbor. They went to, uh, I love these little acronyms or these old mnemonic devices. They went to Jerusalem, which was their neighbor. They went to Judea, which was, um, Uh, or I'm sorry, they went to Jerusalem, which was near. They went to Judea, which was their neighbor. They went to Samaria, which was the neglected. And they went to the ends of the earth, which was next. There's always the next Mm -hmm. that's out there. And, uh, you know, as they went, he was with them, right? And so when I say that, I mean, I've got to go and take the Christ that lives in me and pour into someone else. You call it mentorship. You can call it discipleship. You can call it an impartation of your life. Uh, a spiritual father, whatever that may be. But I know that if I take a bucket of water and I've got 20 bottles lined up you know, 15 feet away from me and I take that bucket of water and throw it at those bottles, there's going to be some drops that get in that bottle. The best method for me, though, is to walk over to each individual bottle and pour from the bucket right into the bottle. That's discipleship. What we're doing in the churches is the first thing. We're throwing the water at everybody. And that's why I think we're so ineffective, and and we we've gotten so wrapped around the the as you said a business model. We we almost we want pastors with an MBA, right? Who who are Tony Robbins in a in mm. you know in a leather jacket because we have got to be cool these days, <laughs> right. preaching jeans and an untucked shirt. And so you, you know we, we've got these guys out there that are slinging water from the bucket. Some of it's getting in us, but it's not the most effective method. So I think that's why, by and large, just by default, the megachurch method tends to fail. I think it's why um, the this ide- this ideology, I'll just go ahead and use that word, the ideology that most pastors and leaders, church leaders, have in their head is they're not successful unless their church gets bigger. You know, they're always looking at, we're going to build this building, and we're going to buy this property, and we're going to expand this, and we're going to do these groups. And and it's like, if I don't have this Thing that the that the American church has told me is the blueprint for success in church life. Then I'm not doing it right. Um, Well, Jesus died with twelve, and one of them was a bad apple, right? So that wasn't a megachurch. That wasn't a megachurch in it, but it was an okay model. It changed the world because he poured himself into them. How do you think it is that Matthew, Mark, and and Luke? You look at the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You know, they, they all have a, a retelling in some ways of the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount. So you look at Matthew 6 through 8. How do you think Matthew was able to sit down after Jesus had gone away and sit down and write those things out in, in the way that he taught them? Well, because Jesus, and if you look at Matthew 6 in the first verse, it says, And when he was seated... Jesus, we we got this image of Jesus giving the Sermon on the Mount, standing up on a rock, preaching to the masses. Wasn't doing that. It says, and when he was seated, the Sermon on the Mount was directed to the twelve. He was pouring himself into them. Now, there were others there, and they could hear. They were in the overflow room, so to speak, right? Uh, You know, mama's nursing babies and, you know, whatever. But uh, he was talking to the twelve. So there's been some studies on this to say, how, how is it that these disciples, after Jesus was gone, could sit down and consistently, along with each other and independent from each other, write these teachings out and get it so accurate? Hmm. And the answer is, Jesus told them over and over and over and over again. Right? They didn't just, just say it once and they got it. He had to say that to them at least a hundred times. For them to to uh, to be able to grasp it,
0: it was it was catechizing before we even knew what that was.
1: One hundred percent. You take my spiritual father. Uh, his name's Wade Trimmer. He he was a pastor for for he's been in the ministry for over fifty years, Augusta, Georgia. He was my spiritual father. We traveled around the world together. I served on his staff. If I pick up the phone right now and call him, he's going to answer. We're going to talk. He's still a mentor to me. I can, I can, we did a We did a service uh, in Georgia a couple of years ago. It was, we celebrated his 50th year in ministry and several of us got up and we sort of eulogized him before he was dead, so to speak. Right. Right. And so I did a whole thing about his, the things he says, his little, his little colloquialisms and the way he communicates because I've heard him over the years so many times. And it got a big laugh because everybody's heard these things for all these years for so long. He pastored the same church for, for 35 years, which is unheard of in this day and age. But I can still say the things that he said because I've heard him so many times. That's discipleship. But then not only that, not only the sayings, but imparting that spirit into other people. And so for me, that's that's where we're missing it as the church. We, we, we're, we don't have spiritual fathers. I, there's guys out there who call—you and I have had a—we've we, had an off-the-record conversation where you've mentioned a few names to me, and I'm like, yeah, no, I, I'm not going to interact with that person. Yeah. Just because I came out of that world where I, my ministry was growing, 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 and then when things really got tough, there were those guys that call themselves apostolic; those guys who call themselves fathers. They weren't there. They weren't there. Now, part of that was my fault. You know, I, I was naive then. I, I got bitter towards them, but it was, but a lot of it was their fault too. Because you, you want the, you know, sons get messy. <laughs> kids get messy life gets messy and uh, a lot of time those guys who call themselves fathers they want somebody else to clean up that mess and now and i and i bring that up because let me also remind people that the new testament never calls anybody a daughter of god we're all sons of god even if you're a female okay We're all sons of God. The reason we're sons of God is because only the sons are going to get the inheritance. So uh, we have to be sons of God to have authority and to inherit what God has for us in the kingdom, both here and then, here, now, and then. So, uh, So we're sons. And so the pattern is to have spiritual fathers. And you read 1 John, where he talks about, or is it 2 John, where he talks about he, he gives a command okay you fathers do this you you sons do this you fathers do this you sons do this and um, he's he's telling the elders to do one thing he's telling the young in the faith to do something else and and they both have these roles to play and so we don't have we've lost all of that stuff this idea of of fathers imparting to sons uh look we don't do it in our own families much less the church in America right you know i think you and i've also talked about this where we said um America or Western culture is one of the only cultures throughout history that does not have a ceremony whereby we call our sons into manhood. Right? right. Uh, well, we don't do that in the church either. I mean, how? Do, what's the litmus test on when a person becomes mature in their faith? Uh, do we ever? Uh, you know, that, that's a debate. Do you we just do make we it up? Point. You know, that's a debate. Yep. Do we ever truly become? We obviously don't become perfect. We're being perfected according to the New Testament. But do we ever become perfect? Uh, you know, I. I no, we don't, obviously. Uh there, you know, I don't I don't I don't adhere to that Nazarene doctrine of of you know sanctification. Um and there are many who do. And there, again, that's a debate. It's it's a healthy debate to have. But uh I believe we're we're perfected in the eyes of God because of the blood of Christ, regardless of our of our faults and sins. But We're growing. But what is that method whereby we look at them and say, okay, it's time for you to be an elder. It's time for you to be an apostle. It's time for you to step into your Ephesians five giftings and and start doing, or Ephesians four giftings and start doing, you know, what it is that God has called you to do. Um, so, so, and it's hard, dude, it's hard. And I'll say this and I'll shut up. Um, I think you and I had this conversation, too, about, you know, when we look at leadership in the church, we like to gut shoot our preachers than shoot them for not having any guts. Yeah. Uh, that's one of those things. It's hard. It's hard to step out and be a true spiritual father and and be a mature believer that that can speak things because people, people will destroy you for telling the truth. Um, and then... <laughs> And you get into things like losing your job and losing your you know, losing your retirement, losing your health insurance because you were working for the church. So man, it's a, it's a weird thing, dude. We've built a weird house of cards and, and gotten real far away from the New Testament example.
0: So uh, a lot there, one thing that you brought up there at the end was, you know, how do we know who elders are going to be and different things like that? Well, when you look at some of these churches that we've talked about, and yes, we've been picking on mega churches and we should probably be fair. Again, there are unhealthy and then healthy ones, but a lot of the unhealthy ones, Chad, they don't have elder boards. They have boards of directors because their, their senior pastor is not a pastor. He's a CEO of a franchise model that constantly needs to be opening up new franchises in order to continue growing the brand and to continue selling books or, or whatever the thing is. And again, I do want to draw a delineating line because I do know some people personally. Joby Martin is one. He, he's a, I think he went to the University of Georgia. He's hes a go dogs kind of guy. He's got go a dogs. very, very healthy, enormous church in Florida, yeah. in Jacksonville. And so there, there, it can be done in, and there are ways to, to kind of get after that. But I do want to go to something that you meant. Or but, go ahead, Jack.
1: To me, and that, but to me, the only way it can be done, and this is my conviction, the only way it can be done is if that, person who who leads that large congregation has reproduced himself into other leaders so that they can 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 interact with those smaller groups of people and have that community and then it's like cells in the body right mm-hmm. so you know, this this organ has all these cells, this organ has all these cells. And but it all comes together into one body and, and the functionality of it. So that's 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 the only qualifier I have there. Cause I don't want anybody walking away thinking, Oh yeah, I can just go out there and, and preach to ten thousand people every Sunday morning and that's an effective church. And I know that's not what you're saying.
0: Right. Well, and even beyond that, like you're making the great point because, uh, so I mentioned Joby Martin there. I'll, I i can not remember if he said this on my show or if he said this in one of our private conversations, but he's like, when someone comes to him and says, Hey, I need help. His response is like, do you need me or do you need help? And so yeah. he talk, he talks about that to where it's just like, look, he's not a great counselor. He's not a great sit between, you know, a marriage on the brink and fix it type guy. So if right. you need help, he can get you the help. But that's part of the whole discipleship model. But one thing that you said that I thought was really interesting, Chad, is the we win thing. Okay. We don't really approach ministry. We don't really approach sermons. We don't really approach how we do things as a church with a we win mindset part of that if i were to to venture a guess is because that sounds pretty aggressive like we win because if somebody wins and guess what there's a loser and we can't have that because everyone's got to be on the same page and in equity and everybody gets a trophy in however way you want to couch it but that goes into a discussion that i wanted to have that is still involved inside the church but kind of exists outside of it as well it's the state of manhood overall because we kind of live in this culture where it's like we gut shoot our men and then we shoot our men for not having any guts. And so it's one of those deals, especially I always like to talk about it in terms of a sheepdog. People are really, really concerned about the sheepdogs. They don't want the sheepdogs to have guns. They don't want the sheepdogs to show testosterone-filled aggression until something pops off and they're looking around wondering where the sheepdogs are because they need one now, right? They they need a mail-order sheepdog and there's not one available. And with each successive generation, if we keep, you know, feminizing our boys and we keep telling them that the best parts of how god made them their virility and their strength and their (coughs) testosterone in an honorable courageous life are toxic inherently then what do we expect to have as a future not just you know as a community but as a greater culture of americans so talk to me a little bit about that because i know you've thought a lot about that so fire away
1: Well, I'm pretty passionate on that topic, um, so I'll try to be selective here. I I, uh, go back to the we win concept, you know, and I can prove to you this. This is when I know somebody's about to not get in their pulpit and preach a we win message or we won message. It's really we won uh, because because, again, the death, burial and resurrection of Christ has, has sealed that. So it's a past tense deal. It's a past and present and future. But, you know, when somebody comes out there, here's my practical guide. When somebody comes out there, you see these guys that want to be cool. You know, they want to be laid back. They want to be comfortable. They come out and they pull a stool out and they sit on the stool and they're going to preach to you. That's not a kerygma. That in that, the charisma again, that is that preaching. That is that proclamation word. That, it's the Greek for that, you know. And, and that kerygma, that proclamation, we won. You'll never see a football coach on a sideline on Saturday or Sunday sitting on a stool. They're not doing that. They're fired up. They're they're pushing them to win. We won. We're gonna win. Like you know, we're gonna go out there. We're gonna tear their heads off. You don't you don't preach that message sitting on a stool. Now I'm being I'm being a little critical, a little tongue in cheek, but you get the point I'm saying. If you're fired up about a message, you're not gonna sit on a stool and deliver it. Now, I'm not saying you can't sit there and give a teaching,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but that's not that charisma proclamation of we won. Now if it's if you're not excited, if you're if you're more excited. And trust me, I am excited about the University of Georgia Bulldogs, the national champs, coming back this season and starting their season this Saturday against, you know, Boise State. I'm excited about that. Mm. But, you know, if if I'm more excited about that than I am in being a man and being a, a man of God and a leader and fighting back against, you know, taking kids to to drag Shows you know in local restaurants or or even pedophilia that's rearing its ugly head and everything from the Catholic Church to the Baptist Church to the boy scouts uh it you know to these people out there who are changing the phrase pedophile to a minor attracted person in order to sterilize that. You know, if, if what I'm seeing in the world and, and culture doesn't fire me up more, then I've got a problem. And if I have that problem, if I'm not enthusiastic about these things that really freaking matter, then how am I going to inspire that next generation? And, and these and these other men around me, both young and old, how am I going to inspire them to step up and say, it's time For us to be men, it's time for us to take this back, you know. And I appreciate what Jordan Peterson says. You referenced him earlier about how men are absolutely necessary. Men are absolutely necessary. Uh, I brought up this point on my show talking with Sarah Gonzalez recently. I said, you know, me personally, I don't think there should be women in the military. Now that's no disrespect to to the women who have served in the military, but like, would would you have? um, Do you want an army of all women? Well, Chad,
0: don't lose your train of thought. But I've said that before and people were shocked. I was like, look, I think it's indicative of a sickness in society when we put our women out there to fight our battles for us. So, but anyway, go ahead.
1: No, and again, like I said, I I mean, no disrespect to the women who have served. I'm thankful for you. I appreciate you. I appreciate what you've done. But do you want an army of all women? I mean, unless we've got some kind of Amazon race out there that I don't know about, I, I don't think that's what we want. You know, that's mythology. So, mm-hmm. so you say? Well, no, I don't want an army of all women, just some women. Well, why do you want some women if they all can't? We can't do it with just all women. Then why, what's you know? Why do we do just some women? And and it's like, I, and listen, there's some women out there that can kick my ass. So I tread carefully on this deal, Kyle. Yes. Uh, and, and and I say it with all due respect. But what I'm saying is, I respect women so much that they shouldn't have to go out there and do that. We should have men. Who were chomping at the bits. I mean, freaking Spartans who were saying, You're not going to talk to our women like that. You're not going to tread on our land like that. You're not going to take our property like that. You're not going to take our freedoms like that. And it's time to kick that dude in the well, right? So, but we don't have men like that. You know, I laugh about it and say maybe it's the steroids in the chicken. I look at this new generation of skinny jeans, man bun wearing uh, soy boy you know, panty waist dudes that are walking around and, and, and they they literally celebrate. The last time I was on Fox News, I was, I was in New York. I did Fox and Friends in the morning and they were talking about the rise of the beta male. Man, I said some things on that episode that honestly, they didn't like. They didn't like, but it's true because why are we playing nice? Now, I'm not saying we won't always have men that are weaker than us physically. Maybe they're mentally stronger. Everybody has their traits. But we it's weird because we're in an epidemic. You won't talk about a true pandemic. We're in an epidemic of weak men, men who don't want to fight for anything, who don't want to stand up. They're afraid of being embarrassed. They're afraid of being called out. Look how many people go on social media and they hide their faces and they hide their names and they get tough behind a keyboard. You know, I don't know if there's a shortage, if there's a supply chain issue when it comes to hot pockets, or mom turned off the AC in the basement. But what are these keyboard warriors doing out there, man? But they're 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 just buzzing around, they're little flies, like you know, flies on crap. And 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 we spend all of our time swatting them off rather than doing the stuff that needs to be done to make society great again and speaking out. So you know, it start it starts with guys like you taking it taking a voice. And using a platform and and getting other men on board. And again, when I say that, I shouldn't even have to use this disclaimer. But this is not a disrespect or disregard to women. Because women have a place. Men have a place. You see how culture right now, the attack is on identity specifically with gender. You know, they want this homogenized human race. Well, that doesn't exist. That does not exist. And in 100 years, they're going to look at America and say, what the heck were they doing? What were yeah. they thinking? I mean, this was idiocracy, and uh, this is why this is why radical Muslims want to kill us. We kill our babies in the womb. Uh, we we you know men lie down with other men. You've got uh, you know women that take the role of men, and. <laughs> You know, I like what uh, comedian Andrew Schwartz said. He said, feminism, they, well, they played the long game, right? They, they, When people were out there getting eaten by lions and, and killing each other in the Coliseum, they weren't about this equality and feminism. But as soon as there was air conditioning in the office buildings, they were like, heck yeah, we want equality. Yeah. Right. So, and, and they don't understand how society, particularly the government, is playing us, right? They want to make sure, you know, the federal government right now in America, they want to make sure that every home that both parents have to work. They want to make sure that, and and you know you can't you can't live off of one's salary anymore. You can't live off of the husband providing for his home. You you can't do that. They want to make sure that they've got at least two people in the home paying taxes, so the government gets more money, and so they're going to make sure that everything is unaffordable. Both families have to go. And so now, what do we do? We farm our kids out to these socialist structures called public education and public schools, and uh, which was designed to be a facilitator and incubator for Marxist thought. And so we put them in the collective community and say, well, I don't have time to homeschool my kids. I don't have the money to homeschool my kids. I don't have the energy to homeschool my kids. That's right, because we have been so defiled by the system to believe that we're just supposed to do it. And so whether it's what's going on, the pattern we've we've embraced with the church or the pattern we've embraced with the home, it's disgusting, man. So we're destined to fail. We're literally, we're literally on borrowed time when it comes to uh, culture and society in terms of when it's going to collapse. Because technically, it's already collapsed. Men aren't men anymore. That you know, they talk about the patriarchy. Let me tell you about the patriarchy. The fact you want to know, you want to know the the offense of patriarchy to me is the fact that a man can dress up like a woman, go out there and and and. Objectify a woman by putting on a bunch of makeup, big wigs, and a bunch of dresses, and blow glitter out their ass, and go out there, and people celebrate that and throw dollar bills at them. Right? That that to me, and nobody, nobody, nobody in you know the progressive re re crazy people out there, uh, n- nobody has a problem with that. Really, the fact that you can give Caitlyn Jenner Woman of the Year, and nobody has a problem with that, that is the essence of abuse when it comes to how men objectify women. That's the patriarchy. but yet I speak out to the dignity of the individuality and the uniqueness of femininity and people like, Oh, you're a bigot. You're a misogynist. You're sexist. How dare you point out that a woman, you know, has these, no, I want to, I want to take a woman. I want to protect her. You know, why do you think it is that on average, on average, I got a hair right there. I got to pull that off. On average, (laughs) men are typically taller than women. You know, you know, you're here, the woman's here. God created that because, she fits under your arm. She fits in a protective place. Her head lays against your chest, next to your heart. The, the, you know, just look at it physically. Look at the intimacy of a sexual relation. Uh, the, the way, the, the design of all of that, in uh, it's just physiologically and anatomically, is all about the man protecting the woman, caring for the woman, um, you know, cherishing the woman. All of these things. But to us these days, we're we're blasted for having that. Such a narrow minded deal. No, I just I've never met a woman. I mean, a true woman. I've never met a woman that didn't want to be protected, nurtured and taken care of. Right. I've never met that. I, I don't I mean, I've seen some people out there that that scream in the street and, and yell. I, I got stuck, dude. I got stuck in a Me Too rally, you know, the, the vagina hat deal. <laughs> and uh, I got stuck in one of those parades one day. I, I was in Grand Junction, Colorado. And I was eating breakfast and I came out onto main street and they were having a parade and I didn't really know what was going on because this was kind of a new movement. And I found myself in one of these vagina hat rallies. And so me being the way that I am, I just kind of followed along and listened to them and read their posters and asked some questions and dude, they hated me. They hated me. Uh, They didn't know me. They just hated me. Right? Because how dare I you know here I am in my jeans and my boots, I got my cowboy hat on, and they they hate me just by default and seeing me. I must be one of these you know narrow minded sexist pigs and i but I was literally trying to understand and hear them, and what I heard in their voices, even in their rage was they're not being protected. They're not being nurtured. They're not being cared for. They've never seen true masculinity. And even when it, even when they have, it's like a dog that's been beaten too many times. And you raise your hand it just you know to scratch your eyebrow and the dog cowers back. And that's the way these people are. Because, because we are literally going against God's design for our sexes. And so it starts with men coming back to being men. Understanding what our role is, who we are. Stop apologizing. That's why... You know, I've got a whole clothing brand. Our shirts and stuff, it's it's unapologetic. That's what we call ourselves. My business is (laughs) Unapologetic Ventures. Don't believe in apologizing for who you are. And uh, we got to get away from that. And and we've got to stop bowing down to the the, the idols that have been created in front of us.
0: So- obviously 45 minutes in. I'm blowing up the rest of my interview. All the stuff I told you we were going to talk about off air. uh, By this point, you know that I'm not going to go. No, this is all, no, dude, this is all really, really good stuff. We'll have you back on to talk about news cycle and all that. But put a pin in the drag queen stuff because I want to wrap up with with talking about the drag queen stuff because that's something that I've noticed about you is you're a jovial guy. You're a funny guy. You also take things very seriously. There's a certain level of anger that comes out in your voice and in your tone when you talk about that. So put a pin in that. We'll get there. There was something that came out and I don't have a fully-fledged thought here, so I'm going to flow a little bit. And hopefully, you can help me a little bit. So you, in some of the things that you were talking about in terms of men, in terms of manhood, in terms of uh, manhood in the church, you get into this discussion about egalitarianism and complementarianism. Some complementarianism says men and women are equal and they have separate roles. Egalitarians would say men and women are equal and they should all be able to do the exact same stuff regardless of what God's plan is. That That's a, a rough version of those two things. Right. What I almost feel like, Chad, I'm literally like chewing on this as as I'm going through. It's almost like the modern church and the men therein are wanting to use the complementarian model, but they don't want to partner with their brides or with the bride of Christ. They want to partner with culture. They want to partner with this society that hates them. I just saw this pastor I, I talked about on my show out of Australia that was saying that we need to lean into the rights of trans people. We need to, uh, you know, make sure we have these these other bathrooms that they can go to the bathroom in, and we need to lean into those things. And that's what the loving thing that a Christian would do is. And I, I've invited this guy to come on my show. His name's Guy Mason. He runs a, a megachurch network down there in Australia, and I want him to explain to me how it is loving to stand by the same people that say, yes, 14-year-old girl, you should cut off your healthy breast tissue. You should have part of your forearm removed and sewed to your crotch in this phallus-like thing. Like, Is that the loving thing to do? But I'm called unloving if I say that that is a brutal degradation of the Imago Dei, of the image of God, of the body of Christ that was given to these people and imputed to them when they were born. So I'm kind of getting getting off a little bit, but I want to kind of bring it back to that. This guy, like Guy Mason and other people like them, they so desperately want society and culture to love them and to say, oh, pat them on the head. You're, you're so progressive and you're so this and that. Those people hate you. Don't you understand? They will never believe the, the way that you would believe and should believe. They hate you. Why are you trying to attach your complementarianism to culture that hates you? Anyway, so I'm just kind of you're, flowing at this point, but you right go ahead.
1: You're absolutely right on that, Kyle. You step off the reservation and say one wrong thing, they're going to cancel you. Right. Absolutely. You can't bow low enough. You have sold your soul and saturated yourself with dilution so bad in order to water everything down to make everybody happy. But you're not going to make everybody happy. You are that armadillo in the middle of the road, man. Mm -hmm. You're the yellow stripe and uh, you stand for nothing. Look, at the end of the day, I want to be able to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, that's what I want. That's the approval I'm working for. Um, you know, I don't want to be that Matthew 7 guy who shows up and says, man, you, you built a house, but it was on a bad foundation or, you know, and it got swept away or, you know, you you, you say to me, Lord, Lord. Um, and, and you know, he says, depart from me. I never knew you. I, I never had an intimacy with you. I, I would much rather piss some people off here on planet Earth because, you know, the, the book of Isaiah, I think it's, I won't even start calling chapter and verse because I'll get it wrong. But the book of Isaiah, one of my favorite passages there is he says, What is man but the breath that's in his nostrils? So if that's all we are, why are we working to please these people? Why, why are we doing that? Um, there's a church down in Katy, Texas. You know, we're organizing right now because on uh, the 24th of September, this church, First Christian Church of Katy, And if you go to their Facebook page, it's appalling. Um, They're going to have a family friendly drag show. Um, Now, now help me understand this, Kyle. They're going to do a family friendly drag show from like five to seven. And then after seven, it goes to 18 and up. Tell me what's going to change at seven o'clock. Absolutely nothing. What are you going to do from five to seven for the kids? What are you going to do after seven o'clock? What, what level of perversion are you going to, to, to start doing so that the kids aren't welcome anymore? So, you know, we've already got about 500 people organized that are going to be there for that in protest. And look, I'm at a point now where, and I, look, I said, you know, I put on Twitter yesterday. I said, there's absolutely no reason to take a child to a drag show. And I, I don't want to keep harping on this, but we we'll use it as an example. Um, and, and there's not, and they say, "Well, there's no reason to take a child to church." Well, I, I yeah, I, you know, we've got to root out the evils that are in the church. Um, I, the, it's still up to the parent to make sure they're taking their kid into a healthy environment, whether it's the church or the drag show. You wouldn't take them into a strip club. You wouldn't take them into a, you know, a, a, a cockfight in the back alleys of Thailand. You wouldn't do any of that stuff. <laughs> so. Hmm. You know, I look at this stuff and I say, you talk about the love thing. And I say, look, I love everybody. I really do. People don't believe it. I, I You know, some people are real hard to love, but, but I want what's best for, for people. I really do. And when I see you going off that cliff, I want to tell you, I want to warn you, just like I hope somebody, Kyle, you know, you're my friend and I, and I would always hope that if you saw me running off a cliff somewhere, you'd be like, hey, dude, hit the brakes, man, mm. because that's what friends do. It's so... You know, I've got I've got gay and lesbian friends. Some I work with, some I'm associated with with business. You know, and I and but I but I'm I'm an intimate relationship with them, and I can look at them and I can say, you you know that's going to be destructive for you, right? You know, you know what's what you're doing right now is going to lead to now that I can have that conversation, I can say it to them tongue in cheek, I can look at them dead in the face, tell them I love them, and tell them the truth. I can do those things. Now, what people want me to do is condemn them. People want me to come at them and fire and brimstone and rain down Sodom and Gomorrah on them. And and I just say, no, I just don't think that's the most effective way. I can speak the truth in love with the purpose of character change. Speak the truth in love with the purpose of character change. That is the key right there. But the love is the key part. Otherwise, as, as 1 Corinthians 13, of course, says you're like a clanging cymbal. You know, I speak with the tongues of men and angels. It doesn't matter what I say, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing more than a clanging cymbal. So, you know, I, these people that I speak to, they know that I love them. They know that I love them. They know that I care about them and and I can come to them and I can speak those things into their lives and uh, try to do it with a gentleness and, and turn them a little bit. And I think we've got to do that because this today more than ever, we really have to have an iron fist, but we've got to cover it with a velvet glove because people are really tormented. Um, the the uh, the the powers and principalities, you know, those things that are unseen, those spirits that are at work among us that we can't see and often disregard, have really ratcheted up the heat, right? Mm-hmm. And so people are more deceived than ever. Maybe not more than ever, but. We're in an age of deceit, uh, and we've seen it throughout history, where it's gotten really bad. But but we're in an age of deceit, and y- you wonder how how can you know Nazi Germany exterminate six and a half million Jews? That's an age of deceit, right? Uh, you know how how can Cambodians kill you know the millions that they did in, in the killing fields and you know the, the extermination of Russians under Stalin. How can that happen? Well, it's an age of deceit. And if you don't think the violence is going to follow what's happening right now, trust me, it's coming. You look at Joe Biden right now calling us MAGA Republicans. If you're a conservative at all, you didn't vote for him, you're a MAGA Republican. And you Notice that's the talking point right now. It's in all the tweets. It's in all the press conferences. His press secretary, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, just doubled down on it again the other day when pointed out uh, and asked about it because they're trying to label Conservatives—they want to label people like me and say, "Well, he's one of those MAGA Republicans." Well, if they can, if they can attach that label, they can categorize and right. classify me and put me in the box, and ultimately do with me what they will, what they want to do, because I'm not human anymore. I'm a MAGA Republican. Right. Uh, that's what they did with the Christians. I mean, in the first century, you know, Christians to call someone a Christian uh was not necessarily a good term yeah it was it an a, insult it was it was an insult it was a re- derogatory um you know whenever the the word i'll tell you a funny little, little etymology lesson here the word enthusiasm comes from the greek entheos which means god inside of you the first century christians were so passionate and so excitable that they said god's in them they're enthusiastic they're in theos we get enthusiasm from that. It was not a complimentary term. They, they were saying they were possessed. Uh, they, were, they were almost like whirling dervishes, if you will, getting themselves frenzied up in their acts of worship. And so they were comparing them basically to the pagan religions of the day. So... You know, they can label you and put that derogatory term on you, then they can control the narrative about how, the, you know, your life's going to go here, you know, in the future. So we're in an age of deceit, man. And so we, that's why I say we've got to speak the truth in love for the purpose of character change. It's going to take an iron fist and, and it, it's going to take, I tell you, it's going to take some real critical thinking. And when I say critical thinking, here's the way I like this. Here's, here's how I define critical thinking for me. I always say, am I wrong? If I say something or I think something, I start with, am I wrong? And then I start to dissect what I'm thinking and and feeling and saying. And I go, I want to know if I'm wrong. That's it. And I want to dissect this. And when I get to the conclusion of it, if I still feel convicted that this is truth and this lines up, then I'm going to go forward with it. And I'm going to go forward just blazing forward with the thing. Because to me, I've critically thought through the deal and it's a conviction that it's truth and I'm going to embrace it. and we've lost critical thinking. Thinking is uncomfortable. That's hard work. I mean, you're you're an exercise guy. You, you told me yourself that you always want to do a little more. You want to do a little more. You look back on it, you're like, I could have done more. I could have done mm-hmm. this. Um, and you do that in terms of the physical. You do that in terms of the mental. See, that's, that's what we've got to do with our minds. When we talk about discipleship, we're talking about our mind, will, and emotions. That is your soul. When God created Adam, he breathed into him uh, breath and, and the kaye nefesh in the Hebrew, he became a lifed soul. That nefesh is, is your, your suke your psyche in the new Testament Greek is that your mind will and emotions, right? So you look at the book of Proverbs as a man thinks in his heart. So is he that word heart? That's nefesh as a man thinks in his soul. So is he the word, um, the, uh, the, the word, um, thinks is, uh, uh, kaye, which is the uh, Hebrew for a gatekeeper. And so what a man opens the gate to into his soul is what he becomes. So so you, you look at certain things, you embrace certain things, you believe certain things, you're exposed to certain things. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man gives access to his soul is what he becomes. That's mind, will, and emotions. If we're not discipling those three things, your mind, your volition, your ability to make a choice, and your emotions. If you're not discipling those three things, go on social media and look how wild the emotions are. Everything is in their fields, man, because we're not critically thinking. We don't have that anymore. So those are the things that I encourage the people that I have influence over. That's the stuff you got to get control of.
0: I mean, we talk about all the time on the show cultivating spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. And part of that entire thing is what you're talking about. It's this intellectual honesty. And yeah. it's just this, uh, you know, put your pride down for a second. You said the wrong thing. You thought it was true. It wasn't. Just correct the record. It's really not that big right. a deal. Like right. this idea that, okay, doubling down somehow makes you more virtuous. No, it makes you twice as stupid. So, uh, dude, there's so many more things that we could get into here, but I know you got to go to the studio and make some things happen today. We will certainly have you back on to talk about political stuff and the fact that you ran for governor of texas and all that other than that uh, but we, you know, we'll save that we'll save that for the audience down the road but that's all for me is there anything else you want to get off your chest
1: no brother i appreciate you and uh, hey if folks want to I, I don't always preach it people if they want to come have some fun with some laughs and some music and and uh, some good stuff check out my schedule at watchchad.com and of course folks can uh, subscribe to the chad prather show on blaze tv or it's, it's get it at chad prather on youtube
0: all right, guys, that is all in the show notes. Chad Prather, thank you for coming on on Daunted Life, a man's podcast. Thanks, brother. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed my time with Chad Prather. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. And guys, don't forget to support the sponsor of today's show, KC Cattle Company. Go to kccattlecompany.com. That's kccattlecompany.com. Use the promo code KYLE to get 15% off your order. Again, the promo code is just my first name, KYLE. That's K-Y-L-E for 15% off your order at kccattlecompany.com. So the links I've got for you today, I've got a link to Chad's website. That's watchchad.com a link to his show a link to his twitter and his book that we didn't really get to talk about at all today it's a book on amazon that you can check out called am i crazy all right guys thanks so much for listening to the show we do appreciate it wherever you're listening to this please subscribe rate and leave us a positive five-star review if you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast just shoot me an email to info at undaunton.life that's info at undaunton.life Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook. And check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song, Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album, Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness. Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience keep seeking the Lion of Judah.